Hey, this is Gary. This is Mike. And Daniel. We're not professionals. We're just three addicts sharing our experiences, strength, and hope regarding recovery. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other addicts and to practice these principles in our lives. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 12th Step Podcast. This is Gary. <laughs> this is Mike. <laughs> this is Daniel. <laughs> Tonight we are joined, once again, by some special guests. My wife, Christy. Hello. And my wife, Lisa. I'm here. Hi, I'm Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> and our guest, Tanya. Hello, everyone. <laughs> oh, all right. So, we have... A uh, topic we want to discuss tonight that was actually a topic suggested to us by our guests as something very important that they wanted to discuss and to help us understand the impact of addiction and bad choices and, and some of the lasting effects that we as addicts when we, we start our recovery might not be, well, are definitely not aware of. Let's just put it that way. We're going to talk about trauma. And the trauma that comes to the people who are around us as a as a direct or indirect consequence of our addiction. So with that, with that, uh, launch right in. Launch. We'll just jump right in. I uh, um, and we're going to spend. I'm, I'm going to just say a couple of things, and then I'm just going to shut up because I think that. Uh, you know, obviously our panel of folks here that are our guests with us tonight have got a lot to talk about in this area, and we'll be so much better at it. I'll say a couple things. First of all, I don't believe that I have done sufficient work as a, <clears throat> as a recovering addict around the area of the trauma that I have caused as a result of my acting out behavior that I've caused not only to my wife but to my children, to my family, to those that I love. Um, so I have a lot of work to do in that area, and I think that became... Just, just absolutely evident this last week as we had a, an opportunity to listen to a podcast that, that put me in a place of defensiveness, and I, I uh, so we've had a chance to kind of talk through that a little bit, and I, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed as I talk about that, but, but this, this path of recovery has been so focused for the last four years on me, and uh, uh, almost as selfishly as my addiction has been, that, that now I'm. I'm recognizing and, and embarrassingly so of how I have not uh, not done what I needed to do in terms of addressing her situation, her trauma, and what this is all done. Um, <clears throat> one of the very early episodes that I think I recognized uh, what this was, she actually had been diagnosed from a, from a counselor as having PTSD and then tried to explain to me what PTSD was. And I I just was not grasping it. I think that's a fair statement. You, if, if it's worse than that, feel free to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep going. <laughs> but it's clear I was not grasping it. And what she was trying to do then more than anything was help me understand what a brain does after having the, the PTSD diagnosis and understanding what's going on. Uh, and there are so many things that I would do uh, that would put her brain literally on alert being concerned about her own safety. One of them was my driving habits, and I think I have shared that many times in my in these podcasts about that being a, a clear indicator that I'm probably not in the best place. If I'm, if I'm the only genius on the road and everyone else is idiots, I'm probably not in a good place. 
Uh, but but also when I drive very aggressively, what I would notice when I would when she would be in the car is her hands and feet would go on the dash, and that would always just instantly bring me to anger, uh, as though I was going to barrel into the back of the car in front of us intentionally or something like that. But with a PTSD uh, sort of brain, she's she's always on alert for the danger, and. Uh, and I don't think I really understood that until we kind of talked through that to some extent, and so that helped an awful lot. Um, but I'll be curious to hear, uh, you know, not only her perspective, but others. I mean, as I listen to, to both of your experiences and know them a little bit, it's amazing to me that, that, uh, uh, that a brain can actually heal from some of the things that have actually happened in all of our lives as a result of our acting out behavior. No. Yeah, and I'm going to be the first to admit that this... We're going to get into some water here that's way out of my depth. Yes, right. You know, and I something that I've come to understand about trauma that I'm also looking forward to hearing what your perspective is is I know that you can you can incur trauma in a couple of different ways, and I know that um, some of it or trauma can be a an abrupt, sudden, large magnitude kind of event. You know that can happen very quickly. But I also understand that trauma, that you can incur trauma on a very long, you know, kind of low level, consistent, you know, something. So, so I think, you know, when I, when I think of my wife, I know that I've inflicted trauma when, you know, with the events that, that happened that she found out. Okay. But then there was the trauma that was, that was inflicted on her over the years and years of living, living with, with an addict. So. Let's talk a little bit about trauma. I guess maybe the question we should start with is what would you guys like to say that would help us understand? Maybe there's a direction that you already have in mind that you want to go. So we'll just turn the time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just be quiet. I know for me, um, you made a very good point that there is the two different kinds or a few different kinds of trauma. Uh, at first it's this high elevated trauma and then as you're working through stuff it's more on a on a constant dull a little bit Mm -hmm. and then little things will happen that will trigger that um it'll be a you know a a place we drive by that he acted out or a a specific uh, car that a person had drove or whatever or it can be a memory or a smell or an outfit. Like I'll walk in my closet and I'll see an outfit I was wearing when certain things were disclosed to me or some, something. And, and so it automatically sets the tears coming, sets, sets that trauma brain on fire. And to be honest, there's times where I feel like it will never end. It will never stop. I, I can't even tell you the last time I had a really good night's sleep. You know, because your brain, I mean, you can tell yourself, I'm in a better spot now. You know you're in a better spot now, but your subconscious is messing with you mm-hmm. all the time. And I I don't know if this is a very good analogy, but I tried to explain this to my husband was think of someone who has had to endure abuse of any kind, Okay. And the perpetrator will, you know, something will happen and they'll come back and they'll say, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. I promise I'll never do it again. Just trust me. I'll never do it again. Okay. 
and you want to believe you want to have that hope you want to have that love or whatever and so you try to go on with your life and feel okay about it and feel safe well it happens again it happens again so that person say may eventually grow up leave the wife divorces the spouse that you know cause abuse well in my situation i chose to stay with the one that inflicted the most pain on me so i can never get away from it it's a constant it's a constant reminder even though we are in such a better place now it's a constant reminder and i have to on almost a moment by moment find the gifts that are there find the good things that are there but it's like having that constant state of fear a little bit that i can never get away from the person who hurt me the most and so i try to explain that and say can you maybe put yourself in my shoes a little bit of of that constant trauma you know not all days are like that but it's an everyday thing where uh, you know little things will come up that is every single day multiple times a day not big things but just little things so you can never get away from it you can never get away from it so that's just my perspective <laughs> well and you don't know what's going to trigger it right um, you can't gear up for it at any right. cost so we're eight years past the grand finale or the I, I don't even know what you want. yeah yeah ground zero I think ground, it's yeah ground zero um so we're eight years past and i still have episodes of trauma and it's been as easy as him not answering his phone absolutely mm -hmm. and you know and he's been very um because because uh, i'll you know i'll be freaking out i'll be calling and you know, and, and he will be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'll try to do better. He, you know, he, he really sucks at not turning his phone, um, the volume up after group or after um, Saturday's session or whatever. And it drives me crazy. So, do you know, do you know that there is a line in, in, our dialogue. in our dialogue reminding people to turn their phones back on specifically <laughs> for me <laughs> yeah oh it drives me crazy but because it causes such an emotional compromise mm -hmm. because it takes me back to and and the and that trauma and the feelings i get it it hasn't lessened over the years oh you're absolutely it, right. it takes me right back to d-day yes and and so you know i I know he tries <laughs> to remember to turn his phone up, but um, but it does, and and it's just a simple call. Um, and there are other things, um, you, you know. I've I've been in a store and I thought I saw somebody that he had been with, and I immediately almost have an anxiety attack just because of that potential interaction or coming face to face with this individual again and and you know and then i'm set on edge all day you know and yeah. so i mean it's just little things like that yeah. and and like you said you and your spouse you've never really been better gary and i have never been better mm -hmm. i mean we i mean he, he'll even say he's like okay are you in a good place he checks in with yeah. me quite yeah. often 
And, and I was like, yeah, you know, things are really good. And he goes, yeah, they really are. He goes, I never thought that things could be so good. But that still doesn't take away from the trauma. It and doesn't end the fact that you're married to an addict. Yes. Right? And so you, so you understand that though you have hope and things are good and you're doing everything right that you can, you have to understand that there's a risk of a relapse. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I don't yeah. know. At least that's where my brain no, is. You're absolutely no. right. I you're just, absolutely you're right. Because it's always right. possible. So when things go wrong, you just kind of live in this place of looking for danger. Yeah. You know, you didn't pay that bill on time. Well, when you were in the middle of your addiction, the bills were Lots all late. Bills, they turned yeah. my water off, and I'm calling what's going on. And he was so busy with his mind everywhere else that he wasn't taking care of the important things. Mm-hmm. So the other day, I get a call from the phone company. We're turning your phones off, and I panic. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah. so what are you doing that things are falling? You know what I mean? And my right. mind automatically goes to right. fear. Right. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. And what is yeah. he lying about? What is he manipulating? Right. What is he doing? And or here we go again. And here we go again. I got to gear up. What is my life going to be like? What am I going to tell the kids? What am I? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're just you're just spinning yeah. now. And it's amazing how you can go along feeling like you're in a really good place, and some little thing happens, and it just drops you. It's and I I have found that you rec- that I recover quicker. Yes. You mm-hmm. know, like the first time That's I stayed really way point. down for a really long time. And as I have gained tools in recovery, it drops me to that place, but I can come out of it faster. You don't Does that make stay sense? there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So one of the things, and, and in one of the episodes, I don't know if it'll air before this one, but we talk about open and honest and complete. And Gary's actually had to use that with me recently. Um, so it's been the reverse. Mm. Um, but... I recently lost my father. So no, so not only am I dealing with that, but a very good friend of mine that is like a sister to me has found out that her husband has had an affair on her and he doesn't want to face his demons. He doesn't want, he knows he's screwed up. He knows he's... He just doesn't want to deal with it. And um, anyhow, and, and I mean, she's devastated. Um, but when Gary had first, you know, when, when his situation first came out, she was like, oh, psh, hell no, he'd be gone. You need to divorce him. You need to move on. You need to... You know, no man is worth that, that heartache. And, and I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, I said, I get it because that's exactly what I told him. But things are different when you're in it. I mean, you can give somebody advice, but until you're in that situation. And for quite some time, I felt shame in staying with him. And I was afraid to tell people because not only did I feel like they were judging me for causing this addiction because of, you know, whether he wasn't getting enough attention or intimacy or which whatever. Is so not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is not true. So not true. Let me be clear about that. Yeah, right. but but I also felt shame in the fact that I was keeping him in my life 
or trying to work it out or even at one point I wasn't even sure um, but when my friend went through because unfortunately um, she had caught him before and they had tried you know and she took him back but it wasn't in you know it was she did a flip-flop she was like oh my gosh you're right I had no idea I'm so sorry I judged you so hard I you know and was so relentless and you know and whatever and and it breaks my heart that she's going through this again but that he's not even willing right. to try and and so I have all these emotions so you know I've lost my father I'm grateful that on one hand that Gary was willing to try and I'm grateful that he's been so dedicated to his recovery because it gave us a chance but then I'm also pissed off at this numbnut who is willing to give up this beautiful person and what they have together because for what his pride his pride yeah mm -hmm. and so you know dealing with all of this You know, I haven't been as open as, I mean, I've been very closed off. I've been trying to run on autopilot. And so he has taken me aside and said, okay, I can tell you're not in a good place. And I was like, oh, no, I'm good. <laughs> you know, because mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to deal with them because even the emotions are conflicting. And there's so many. And, um. And I have a habit of shutting my emotions off. But he has had to, okay, you need to be open with me. You need to be honest. What are you going through? I will give you whatever space you need. I will facilitate whatever. But you need to be open with me. And so we, we've had to, you know, after all, all these years, you know, we've had to pull the tools that we've learned along the way I mean, they're, they're godsends, they're gifts, they're, you know, because we are able to communicate where before, you know, if he came home with the pissy pant face or the RBF or whatever you want to call it, we would all just stir clear and leave dad alone. And we'd live a separate life from him because it was easier than dealing with him. So in a way, we kind of have our own trauma when he comes home with those mm -hmm in lovely um attitudes <laughs> yeah yeah well put um you know and and when we say okay you need to be open and honest and there have been times when he's like you know honestly i don't know i don't know and so i've tried the five whys and i yeah. don't even know when i but i learned that in a training with work but but it was like okay why are you mad or why are you frustrated I don't know. Okay, well, why don't you know? Well, you know, it makes you dig deeper. And usually by the time you've hit number five, you're getting to the root of the problem. And so we've used that. And and so, you know, it, it's just these things have been such a gift that we've been able to navigate additional traumas that happen in our life.
Mm, much clearer, I bet, too. Right, and hopefully healthier. And healthier, yeah. And it didn't happen overnight, right? Oh, no, no. And, and that's the thing that is so uh, frustrating, I think, at first. We automatically want to get rid of this pain really, mm-hmm. really fast. We just want to tell us how to fix it, tell us and how move to fix on. it, and move on. Because it's it's hard to feel this way, and it's, it's devastating at times. And... Um, it's okay for us to feel what we need to feel, but the gift that can come to help us is that true sense of selflessness from our spouses and that empathy. And I can't strive that much more is please exhibit empathy and let go of that pride, let go of that selfishness, let go of that poor victim stance that the addict has. Runs rampant. <laughs> you know, and just let us let us matter let us matter and hear what we have to say and walk through our pain with us because man it's deep it's really deep uh, yeah I, I appreciate the fact that you bring up the word empathy i uh, i have discovered for myself that i am and i believe it to be a family trait to be honest with you that we are very unempathetic uh, i grew up in a situation at home um, my mother enjoyed the banter and the, the deep dis- discussions and the, the sort of the almost near heated kind of a thing. And mm-hmm. uh, my my family just didn't seem to be we just didn't seem to be un- understanding of each other at all. In fact, sarcasm is a is a very common mm-hmm. uh, way of communicating in my family. And I I'm realizing now in my own circumstance that I brought that home. That I brought that to my kids. I brought that to my wife. Who grew up? At, I will say, who grew up in an entirely different circumstance. I, uh, I there are multiple times, and I, I joke about this slightly, but but at the, but there's some there's an element of jealousy to it. I will tell you that when we would go home to her, home, her house, her her and her mother would literally plop down in the kitchen uh, and connect in ways that were impenetrable. And this is a this is a true story. Uh, the pot roast the water had boiled out of the pot roast and there was smoke filling the kitchen. The fire alarm went off and these two were still connected in communication and it wasn't until the fire alarm went off that it actually broke that level of communication. I've seen these two literally sit and visit with the kids sitting right there saying, Mom, 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 Mom. <laughs> you I can, love it. <laughs> you can jump in the middle of this if you'd like to. If there's any untruth. That's some next, that's some next level. <laughs> But it is it is a level of it is a level level of connection that I have never witnessed in my life ever, and it, it's it's filled with empathy and understanding that only a mother and a daughter can actually have, and I just never connected on that level, never did. And so, so when we talk about empathy and we talk about that, and I I can't tell you how many podcasts etc that I've listened to about this particular topic, but I'm going to be completely honest to me and to this group and to the rest of this world who listens to this podcast, I'm not good at it. I'm just simply not good at it. And so I have a lot of work to do. You know, and it's interesting that you say that because, you know, something something that the time you said earlier, you know, it can be little things yes. that can bring this kind of stuff up. And, and the best way I know how to relate that is, uh, or, you know, to, to empathize with it is to realize, oh, that, that sounds a little bit like, Things that used to trigger me, you know, could come out of nowhere and it sure. would be instant and powerful. But 
I think showing a little bit of empathy, like with, with Christy, you know, being a support for her friend, I immediately knew that, oh, we have the potential for some serious trauma echoes. And I'm going to have to going to have to be okay with her not being okay for a minute yeah. you know and and uh, you know in fact we had to have a we had a little conversation about boundaries and said you know what your friend's trauma is not yours you know just please remember that <laughs> as you right. go through that you know yeah. and but but I you know what I did I did take the time she came home one day I don't know if I don't know if you were leaving to go over there or if you had come back, but I, I took a minute and I looked at her. And I said, "You and I are okay. I'm being good. Oh you God. know, I like that. you might not need, you might not think you need this information right now, but as you go out into this, that question's going to come up in your mind, and I want you to know we're in a good place, and I'm I'm behaving." That's a nice re- <laughs> reassurance yeah. there. You know, it's yeah. fantastic. Especially when you're going through so right. much in your own heart and brain. Yeah, yeah that's well, and, nice. Well, and even the questions that she has coming up and and that throwing me like, oh, I've been there. I've done that. Oh, is he do? Is he good? He, You know, and so that was very reassuring. And, um, you know, and he's been very good to, um, you know, because it's been, a, I mean, my life has been pretty rough since Christmas. Um, just with everything going on and and um, so so that I'm I'm very appreciative of but he yeah he he's been because I'm sure he doesn't want me coming home and decking him in the middle of the night no. yeah. you know yeah. I, I would understand yeah. why but I don't. Yeah. I'm actually taking note I will tell you that, and the reason I say that is is that uh, uh, Lisa hit me with uh, something one night I I, uh, I I work late a lot um, don't do really well with just hourly boundaries as far as going to work and what I do professionally. But um, that was a that was a time that I acted out most often. Was, That's why I didn't even know he was in recovery because <clears throat> he just wouldn't come home and he would just say, "I'm always working late." I never knew where he was. Right. So it was yeah. a it, it, here recently. Uh, she confronted me on that and said, "You know, where have you been?" And and of course I look. It's it's. You know, it's the end of the month, it's the end of the quarter, it's whatever time frame it is and I'm working late, that you should just understand that that's what I do. But it didn't dawn on me at that moment uh, it, until I really sort of understand her place of pain and suffering was is that, that wow, I acted out a lot at staying out like that. And I need to do better at, uh, just as you had done, as letting her know, look, I'm okay. There are times, I'm a little better at it sometimes, where I'll actually take a picture, she'll check on my phone or check or on... Or I will FaceTime him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Show yeah. me where you are. Yep. And I'll actually you know. show the room. This is where I'm at. I'm still in my office. And mm-hmm. and, 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 I'm, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, you need to be okay with that. Be okay yeah. with in, in fact, in fact yeah, I think, I think the, the transfer of vigilance, you know, the more that I can take responsibility for mindfully anticipating or preventing those yes. reasons for her to, to feel that way, the better. Yes. You know, if I... If, I know I need to turn my phone on a little bit better, <laughs> yeah. but I but I do I do call every every time I leave for a place or or start coming home or anything like that I touch base with her you know I try to anticipate what might be a problem and then take steps to yeah. to prevent that and you know in the interest of in in the interest of full disclosure you know 
you know, when I come home, they don't even, they can tell by the way I say I'm home or if I take too long to say home and they'll call me out of before I even cross the room or see me. And then I, I have to correct that. Well, and so I know we were talking about boundaries um, on a different episode. And honestly, um, one of the things that I had that caused trauma was, you know, the same type of thing, Gary. Gary had a schedule that he could just come and go and, and, you know, and he would disappear and he would tell me he was at certain places and whatever. And so, um, one of the things that he put in place with himself was that he was not going to go anywhere without someone. And, you know, and I thought, oh yeah, that's going to happen, but it really has. And he will take one of the boys with him and he turns it into, I mean, granted it's out of his pocket you know but he'll you know take him for a treat or you know or they'll have a discussion or that he'll you know they'll go to a game store or whatever and they'll come home with stuff and and so it's not necessarily him dragging them along per se because of the boundary that he set but he's spending time with that child and so that boundary has ended up being another one of those gifts do you know do you know i i get so uncomfortable now being in the car by myself, you know, if, if I had to, I'll put, I'll get somebody on the phone and talk to them. Good, you know. That is good. So there's, yeah. so somebody always knows where, where you're doing, where, where I'm at, and what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah, I'm better. I will tell you that I'm doing better. But I know that I know that that causes Lisa a tremendous amount of trauma. And, and, and you know, part of the, part of the reason I do that, I do it because I want to be safe. So I do it for me, but I'm also aware that it makes her feel safe, you know? Yeah, well, that's a key point, kind of what you were talking about with Lisa, is that level of betrayal is the root of the trauma. Mm -hmm. It is the intense level of betrayal. Every avenue, every every manipulative device you used, uh, piece you used, the level of betrayal that cannot even be fathomed is what we have to carry. Um, that's the part that is the most traumatic, is the levels and means that you willingly went to and to betray us, to betray so our situation, our marriage, our relationship your friends, your job, your risks you put out there, but it's the level of betrayal and the way that the manipulative skills were put in place. And so that's what's so hard to grasp is the trauma that surrounds the level of betrayal. It kills. It kills. And and do you know what? I think the only way to begin to make that right is you have to use that same level of intensity to make sure that things are the way they seem. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I will go out of my way to be where I say I'm going to be, to do what I say I'm going to do. Yeah, at this point, we don't care about your words. Yeah. Yeah. We care about your actions. Yeah, Yeah, but but I have to make sure that everything matches up. Uh Right. That's a very good point. Very good point. and, And you're right. You're absolutely right, but I have to make sure that my act- actions match my words. I That's have to true. make sure that my emotional state matches my That's words, true. you know, or my words. I, let me rephrase that: my words match my emotional state, so so that 
so that everything is consistent mm-hmm. and, 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 and real to kind of put that back together because when you suffer a betrayal trauma your your point of reference is destroyed and you don't you have no right. idea yeah you, what's you, up or down yeah well can i have one more thing yeah. for anybody new that may be listening as i have met with other women who are brand new fresh it's like they think that they are abnormal if they show all of the signs of trauma you know you may not sleep you may eat too much, you might not eat at all. You may have anxiety attacks. You may have fatigue, you may scream and yell. not want to see anyone. You might just isolate. You may have anger outbursts. And all of the above. You may, yeah. yes, and probably all of the probably. above. And that doesn't make you different. That doesn't mean something's wrong with you. Or to be shameful of that. Right, mm-hmm. because that is the effect of trauma. Yes. And that's, you're not crazy. If that's happening to you, because that is normal. I think that's how a person responds to trauma. Right. Yeah. Right. And the other thing that I kind of, as people ask me what it feels like, I have to, to compare it to death. Mm-hmm. Oh, completely. Because it feels like the relationship I had, the life I had, the life I thought I had, died. It just plain died. And you know, I've lost family members close to me. And as I kind of think about what that process was, you know, first it's denial, grief, grief, anger. anger. I mean, all of these things that you go through, you will go through all of these stages as you go through this A few times. process of the death of the relationship that you thought you had, right? Mm-hmm. It really is feel like a death. And just like when someone close to you dies, you think about it all day, every day. Yeah. You're just completely, it just takes over you, mm-hmm. right? And as years pass, I mean, even still, I will have a thought about my brother or my dad or my little sister of the past, you know, and I still will just burst into tears. Mm-hmm. And it's, for my sister, it's been over 20 years, and it still has that effect on me, right? I feel the same way about this. Mm-hmm. As time has passed, I don't think about it every minute, all day, every day anymore. But little things will trigger, and it will take me right back there, and I will have my cry. Mm-hmm. You know, because I just feel like that's... I don't know. That's how it, how the only way I can, what I can really compare it to is, is the grieving of a, of a death, really. And, you right. know, the death of your worth, too, because yeah. you had this, I don't know if it's a facade of your worth, of what you were able to deal with every day or whatnot in your marriage, but then to have that crumble and you're like, I don't even know who I am. So there's also the trauma of not even knowing if you're good enough for this world, this life, for your kids, for your spouse, I mean, you start to question all of that, even your own self-worth, and it takes you to some really dark places. Man, that's true. That you talked suicide. I can't even tell you how much that crossed my mind. You know, because you think, wait a minute, I do this, I do this, I do this, I work hard at this, I cook, I clean, I, you know, all this stuff, and you're like, that's not good enough for you? You know, so you have to rewire that as you come into this whole betrayal trauma of of trying to find what your worth is again, and you don't even know where to start. (laughs) Right. Well, and and the thing is, because my friend's going through that, because he's telling her, I've never had it so good. We we have this, we have this, and you do this for me, and, and... 
you know, because she's like, okay, what did I do wrong? And I and I tell her, you haven't done anything wrong, but the world and the society that we have is telling her that she is what's wrong. And, and you know, and, the, and so, the, I mean, you fight with yourself, you know, okay, is it really me? Is it them? Is it, you, you know, whatever? And, and, I mean, I still have those thoughts. Oh, I do too. And it's really yeah. hard to then reestablish what's real. Right. Because it feels like nothing has been real. Mm-hmm. That's the the one felt. thing. I like the bottom dropped out and I couldn't yeah. figure out what was real. Yeah. Well, and the one thing that Shane helped, because um, we were in his office a lot. Yeah, we were. Because <laughs> we it was another awesome. time, but I, but I was like, you know what? Our marriage sucks. There, you know, it was this, it was that, and you know, and and he's like, but you had good moments, and I said, yeah, but it was a lie, and he said, no, those good moments were not a lie. Yeah, it feels like it. It does feel like it, but he's. You know, he's like, that is not a lie. That was a true moment. That was a happy moment. Don't take that away. Yeah. And, you know, and so when I do look at pictures and I, you know, oh, this is what was going on during that mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. I, I think, okay, but this was a good moment. I think, I think part of the difficulty of the betrayal trauma is it puts you in a situation where you feel like you have to sort through all of that stuff and figure out what was what. And you weren't there before. Right, right. You know, when you, when you talk about it, it felt like the world was pulled out from under you because as far as your brain is concerned, that's exactly what happened. What happened. Your, mm-hmm. your entire frame of reference is gone. Right. And so then it's like you have to go back through everything and figure out everything all anew. So it, it doesn't surprise me that you use language like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what's real. I don't know... Yeah. It's a death. Yeah. No, it's and right. it, ab- yeah. it, is, it is. absolutely is. And that's actually a good analogy. A good way to think about it, you know, because people who people who move forward in recovery, I think people who make it kind of openly acknowledge that the, the marriage that they they thought they had is over. Right. And now you've right. got to start something new. Right. And and it really right. is that way. And you know, I think about you know, often I talk about, I talk about, you know, my, when I think a lot, you, you, the day I, I attempted suicide and the guy that stopped me and I was laying on the ground, you know, I, I think about that moment as the day that the old Gary died because everything that was, because everything that was up to that point you know, was 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 gone, and it had to be. I had, you know, I don't know. Well, a death on um, your side, maybe as the addict. I don't know if you felt that too, Mike, or but it's, but it's also death for us. Yeah. But but it can be in a good sense, a, you know, in in a good way. So so I view my situation, even though it was so traumatic and it's hard, and it still is from mm-hmm. time to time. I am so blessed right now. I feel so blessed in where my um, clarity is, where my knowledge is, and what I know of my yes, worth that's now, true. Um, and the tools that I've been given. Thank heaven for a group and for a ther- for a wonderful therapist, and 
and then also for my commitment to myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing any of my recovery to change my thinking, the way I um, view life, view things, view struggles in the same way. I'm not viewing it the same way anymore. So I did have to almost mourn my old self. Uh Uh-huh, for sure. And and so it's not just for the addict who may have to put that person out now. It's we also, as the wives, have had to change and be new also. Well, and and it is a gift, actually. That's a really good point. Well, and that is a great point. Um, Just because whether you stay or you don't, you need to find yourself again. You need to heal from the trauma that you have gone through. And, you know, and you do have to address your um, codependencies and it's... Absolutely. And codependency definition, living with an addict is different than what I think the society's um, definition for codependency is. Um, but you have to, you, you've lived with an addict for so long, you've adjusted to their chaos, to their crazy. That's where boundaries come in. Exactly. But you have to get help for yourself. You're not getting help for them. They're doing their own work. You have to do your own work. Right. And, and, and yeah, that and, is huge. And there's no shame in staying. No. And there's no shame in divorcing. Whatever you feel like as the wife that you need to do to keep yourself at whatever point, safe, good, better, growing, mm-hmm. whatever the case is, that there's not shame. Because I know that there's ones that feel like they have to stay and, and you don't have to mm-hmm. stay. There's numerous women in my wife's group now that are battling with it all. One specifically has chosen after three years of trying and staying and going through the work and the recovery that she has now decided to divorce because she can see the effort is not there on her spouse. Mm -hmm. And she can honestly say now, I have given everything. It's him that hasn't been committed to it. I was committed, but now I've got to move on. Mm-hmm. I have to move on. And and that's okay, too. So there's no shame in either way. No. As we're trying to battle through this trauma. We don't have to stay. No. And you yeah, have to do that. what's healthy for both. Right. Well, and there's what's right for you might not be right for me. Absolutely. Right. You know, right. It's really a personal dynamic there. Right. Do you know, I, I, I have a thought, and I hope that this isn't presumptuous. But, um, you know, we, we, we talked when, when, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how you, you, you can deal with, with trauma without accepting that, that, um, from this point on, my life is different. Yeah. You know, I remember, you know, I, I was, I was in a, a car accident about three years ago. And, you know, by that time I'd been in recovery for about five and a half years. And, I, and it was kind of funny, but the, the moment that the car settled from its rolling, it was like all of these, you know, therapy, all of these, you know, recovery tools came, came flooding in. I remember sitting there and thinking, okay, I have just suffered a massive physical trauma. I can tell I'm broken. And I said, my life from this point on is different. And I don't know what that looks like, you know. And that that can be a terrifying place to be and you sure. do you do have to, to mourn the loss and I know it's not exactly I know that the 
I think the principles of dealing with the physical trauma might be similar, but I know that it's it's not quite the same. So I don't want to don't want to think that I. No, it's a good analogy you, you of know. having to know that from this point on you won't be the same. And right. do you know, I don't know if we mentioned this in a previous episode or not. I know that we mentioned it tonight as we've been discussing, but we talked a lot between episodes too. And and I think it's really really important for for the addicts that that when your stuff comes out, you know, when your stuff comes out. You might be feeling hope for the first time in your life. For the first time in your life, things might look like, oh, this might actually work. And you're going to feel a sensation of freedom. And that's that's all well and good. But you need to remember that for your significant other, that's ground zero. That's, that's when the trauma hits. So their experience is going to be very, very different. I, I, I want to add to that as yeah. well. Because, yes, it's different. But in addition to that... I'm amazed at how uh, those addictive behaviors are, are are not very patient. Gee, I'm sorry you're going through that, but I just disclosed. Life oh is, yeah. I mean, what's wrong with what's you? What's wrong with you? What's going on? I mean, I, you should be happy for me. I just I just disclosed. Why don't, again, it's that. Why don't you feel the yeah. way I feel? <laughs> exactly. Who are you think, thinking about? Exactly. Well, that's that exactly sentence. right. That's the you're point. You're thinking about, about yourself. yourself. Exactly. Right. That selfishness that seems to always yes. creep back up. Yeah, and that's very that's, prevalent. That's yes. the point that we're making is you can't think that way, but you have to be aware that you're thinking that way in order to stop thinking sure. that way. It's a, it's <laughs> an, it's a, important to be kind. This is this is a, a long long process, and to be kind and patient and understanding of the recovery process, not only for yourself but for your spouse, is yes. really really critical. I think something else that you need to keep in mind is you know from that moment wherever it was, everything after that is going to be different. Yes. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be worse. I was right. just going to say that same thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's going to change. Thank heaven. Yes. yes. Right. Yes. And that maybe there's hope for something better. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'll give it a specific example. Um, and we've talked about sort of big traumas that have you know the, the disclosure itself and being this major trauma and, and small traumas along the way. I didn't realize the things that I had been doing uh, to Lisa mentally over the years uh, through my narcissistic behavior, et cetera, that was causing her a series of small traumas. Mm -hmm. And so the day that I disclosed to her was a day that she disclosed to me. And it was at that day that I found out that she had decided that the year our youngest daughter graduated from high school would be her final year and that she was considering taking her life as well. And so the uh, the irony of that, and it was the year that I had intended to see if I could put my life together as well, was the year she was contemplating being done because of the series of small t's, a series of, tra- of traumas in my behavior that I had caused over you know, 30 plus years of marriage caused her so much grief. And so that was a, that was this moment where I was disclosing to her and then getting some of this information back. And I don't know that I was even in a mindset to really process that completely. It took me some days to really kind of contemplate that and understand that. But that has been a significant uh, um, moment for me as well to realize that my behaviors were really having a significant impact on her. And I don't think I'd really contemplated that at all. Mm. So... Very, uh, very tough discussion. A good one, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're... Necessary uh, one. Yes. 
I I don't believe that our listeners at all uh, really understand the depth and breadth of trauma that we've caused as a result of our addictive behavior. I know I don't. I know I don't. And I, uh, like I said before, at the sort of the start of this entire podcast, is I have a ton of work to do around that. It's been it's been a great four years of understanding for myself, but until I really understand what I've done to her and how how that's affecting her and her life, uh, my work is still undone. So I have, I have much to do still. So, thank uh, you. Yeah. yeah, thanks for, yeah, thanks thanks. for having us. Yeah. Yes, thank, thank you. you. That, was a, that was a fantastic discussion, and your input was fantastic. So thank you very much. Welcome. We can help. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of another episode. Yes. So... This is Gary encouraging you to do the next right thing. And this is Mike saying doing the work necessary for the peace so that you can find the peace that recovery can bring. And this is Daniel saying find the humility in your recovery. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or concerns, or have any suggestions for future episodes, please contact us at 12thsteppodcast at gmail.com. That is one, two, TH step podcast at gmail.com. As a fellowship of recovering addicts, Sex Addicts Anonymous offers a message of hope to anyone who suffers from sex addiction. Check out saa-recovery.org.